Jonathan Wakefield is a brewmaster and founder of Miami's renowned Jay Wakefield Brewing. Now he's opening up his internationally acclaimed tap room at Sirius XM Business Radio for an intimate look at the intersection of craft beer and popular culture. So pull up a chair, have a round on us, and join the conversation on the business of brewing. This is the Beer Hour with Jonathan Wakefield on Sirius XM Business Radio. Hi, I'm Jonathan Wakefield, and this is the Beer Hour on Sirius XM Business Radio 132. Each week, we introduce you to the movers and shakers of the craft beer business and other interesting professions. I'm here in the tap room with my co-host, Maria Cabre. Hello, Maria. Hi, John. Who's our first guest this week? Our first guest is a senior innovation manager for one of America's best-known and beloved craft beer and spirits brands, Rogue Ales and Spirits. Previously, he ran an experimental brewery for Rogue called Buckman Botanical Brewery, where he focused on non-traditional beer ingredients, ciders, meads, and sodas. He's here to tell us how Santa's Private Reserve has evolved into one of the most anticipated craft beer releases of the year. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Danny Connors. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for having me. So, yeah. Rogue was founded in 1988 by Jack Joyce, Bob Woodell, Rob Strouser, and Jeff Schultz in Ashland, Oregon. What's do you know what the origin story is? How did these guys know each other? Like how how'd this all come about? Yeah, a lot of them actually had ties through Nike. Oh, really? Yeah. Um was kind of the main thing there. And they were looking into I think it had come up uh beforehand they were interested in the beer thing and um I think it was an outside party actually sort of tried to sell them on this brew pub in Ashland. Really, um, and they and they got together on it and uh, ran it. Started it in Ashland, and it was only in Ashland for about a year um, before the brewery there flooded, and they needed to <clears throat> they needed to expand anyway, and they ended up uh, moving it to Newport out on the coast, and right. so it's been in the, out on the coast uh, in Newport for about thirty plus years now. Wow, wow, that's. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think about 88. I mean, they've been around for quite some time. I mean, like when you think of craft beer, I mean, nationally, internationally, uh, not only just Oregon craft beer, I mean, you think of Rogue Ales. I mean, were were there any other craft breweries in Oregon at the time that Rogue was founded or no? I think Deschutes uh, started in 88 as well. Wow. Okay. Um, and there were a handful of breweries in Portland. Uh, there was like Portland Brewing, right. uh, Bridgeport, um, and there were a few that haven't survived um, through that. Um, I think I can't remember when Widmer started. I think Widmer started a few years before Rogue, maybe as well. Wow! So it was kind of like that explosion, like late '80s, kind of like the Oregon yeah. craft beer scene kind of launched off there. That's that's yeah. that's amazing. I mean, all the names you listed, I know very well. You know, you guys included, like. How do you think being founded in Oregon influenced the brand and the beers that were made? Um, I would say there's a reason for the stuff in the Northwest, why the Northwest is such a beer scene, you know, both Oregon and Washington. Yep. Um, and, you know, maybe Oregon more so just because it was cheaper to do business in Portland for a long time. Right. Um, but it's access to a lot of the ingredients – um, being near the hops, uh, being pretty close to a lot of the stuff with the grain. Um, and I think one of the huge things of why things were so successful in the Northwest was there was a lot of, um, the, the laws were more forgiving, uh, brew pubs and things like that, allowing people to sell brew in the back and sell out the, out the front. Um, that was really early on happened in Oregon and Washington. So I think that's a big part of why you saw so much happening out here. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember cause I actually, grew up went to uh first three years of high school out by spokane uh, okay. yeah so I, I grew up in the pacific northwest my old man still lives out there and i just the beer scene out there was definitely on like a different level you know because i grew up between miami and and washington state and that didn't exist down here but out there craft beer was like on a different level i mean it was just it was there already before everybody else kind of jumped on the train yeah, what was the brewery out in? Uh, was it in Yakima, like the where the Scottish guy was doing the red? Yes, that was he opened, that was in like the seventies. He opened that, right? Yep. What was that called? Oh, 
now you got me. I'm trying to remember uh, off the top of my head what that guy. But he's he's really the one that kind of kicked that off. And then and yeah. then it kind of evolved from there, and everybody else kind of got in. But obviously through the 80s. I mean, because when I think about it, you know, most people talk about it being like a 90, 95, 96 when craft beer kind of take off. But really in the Pacific Northwest, it was way before that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, so I'm also kind of kind of – jump on a limb but kind of guess that you know you have made a list of all-time beers that introduce people to craft beer you know dead guy ale would be near the top what is it and why do you think like dead guy ale has remained so popular over 25 plus years i think the style is that kind of perfect jump off of it's both a kick up in maltiness a kick up in hoppiness uh, and a kick up in ABV. Um, so it's, I think in a lot of people's mind, like that was the initial jump beyond like pale lagers, American lagers. Um, and then just the brand is so unique. Um, that skeleton uh, really stands out on the shelf. Um, and for so long, uh, yeah, it kind of have it had a life of its own. Uh, being this iconic thing dead guy ale you know doesn't really have a style you can dig in it's like a my bock but we brew it with an ale yeast so it's just kind of this weird larger than uh what like, people knew to step into like a hybrid basically yeah yeah, before, yeah. you guys were making hybrids before they kind of became popular <laughs> yeah. it's it's uh i mean which is true i mean because i i remember drinking dead guy Ale and it's it's still there synonymous as as one of those that really cemented you know kind of the way for craft beer and then kind of for the future openings for other hybrids you know which I mean now we're on a completely different tangent out there different levels of of beer what they've become but I mean Dead Guy still to me kind of resounds as one of those very early on like leaders and still you know one of the beers that kind of brought me in and I know a league of other people that were drinking that that kind of just kind of all looped us into getting into craft beer and kind of led that way. When, when did you join rogue at Buckman? I mean, were you, where were you brewing before this? I was, uh, I was brewing at home in college. Oh, nice. Um, Okay. So I went straight out of school. I got a biology degree and went straight uh, out of school to work for rogue. Really? Where'd you go to school? So, um, I went to the University of Portland and also uh, finished up at a school in Southern California called the University of Redlands. Oh, nice. Nice. So you have a biology degree. It kind of gives you that leg up uh, in the uh, in the brewing uh, industry there. I mean, uh, that and then like microbiology. I know a bunch of people kind of jump from that. Whereas I came from like an accounting degree and just kind of got into home brewing and kind of launched in that way. How, how long have you been with, with Rogue now? 12 years really that's uh that's quite a tenure man that's uh i also have to ask what does a senior innovation manager do so i'm keeping track of all the moving parts of taking any of our new products be that beer or our spirits and bottles our whiskeys our gins our vodka uh, our canned cocktail, we do a CBD seltzer, Ooh. any of those things from concept to getting it to market. So developing the liquid, taste panels, test batches, um, regulatory, making sure we have everything, you know, signed off with the TTB, all the art for the packaging, getting everything ordered, getting all the cans ordered, getting wrap packs ordered, um, uh, you know, knowing how many we want to produce, what our forecast is, how much we need to source. Um, uh, yeah, I'm basically a project manager that way. I'm not oh, really nice. doing any of this. I'm just telling other people to do it. <laughs> right, uh, of course. Yeah. But, uh, how, yeah. Lo- how long have you guys been brewing spirits now? Oh, 20 years. We're about to have our 20th anniversary. Jeez. Wow. Man, I hope I got that right. <laughs> and you guys, and you guys, what? What spirits do you guys produce across the brand? Right now, um, we have our whiskey, our Dead Guy whiskey, okay. and we have three kind of iterations of that. One is wine cask finished, and one is a stout cask finish, and then we have our standard iteration. 
Um, and we have uh, gin and we have a vodka. Oh, nice. So some white spirits, of course. I mean, they always sell very well. And Yeah. And as far as the whiskey goes, how long are you guys aging that? Is it like a three, two, two year? Like what's normally the numbers on that one for you guys? The dead guy, the basic, the base level is usually around two to three. Okay. And then we kind of have, um, we kind of have it, the three uh, tiers, basically. The wine is usually more in the four range, I believe. Right. And the stout cask is, is probably more like in the five range. And those, you're, um, those, and those you're basically finishing off in those secondary casks. Yeah, so we're getting red wine casks. Um, I think most of the stuff we've sourced from Washington. Okay. Um, and, and the cool thing about the stout casks is we have a cooperage. Um, so we're oh, wow. making we're making our own barrels. We're putting our whiskey into it. We then age our imperial stout, which we call Rolling Thunder, right. in it. And then we turn around and age whiskey in those barrels after we've done the stout and have a stout cask finished whiskey. Wow, so full circle really from, from beginning to end. That's that's pretty awesome, man. That's yeah, awesome. it's it's definitely the uh the coolest thing we do for if you're a beer nerd, it's like no I mean nobody else is doing that. Um no, and no. the product is the product's amazing. We've we win like we've won like best in show at the San Francisco Spirit Awards oh, for that wow. one. Okay. Yeah, that and that's like that's like GABF. That's like, well, that's that's bigger than GABF to me. That's that's massive. Man, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as innovation goes, I mean, you guys have done a lot of stuff. I know, like the Voodoo Donut beer. I mean, I, I even think it, at some time there was a point where you guys did. You guys were you the brewery that took the yeast from the brewer's beard and used it to ferment a beer as well? Yeah, that was us. <laughs> I mean, you guys. I mean, you guys have lived on the edge for a long time. I mean, way before anybody else. And I think that's what's been really interesting. You know, just to watch all these years, you guys to keep kind of paving the way. Which I'm kind of, kind of run into. Let's talk about Santa's Private Reserve. I mean, we were going to test your institution. You know, like in, institutional knowledge a, a little bit. What year did Rogue Ale start releasing? santa's private reserve and was it always the intention to create a new beer every year afterwards so originally we did um and i could actually don't know the the first year we started brewing this other iteration of santa's we did it we did like a, a dry hopped red okay and we did that for for quite a few years um i don't really know at least probably like five uh but it wasn't 2017 when we switched it over and started changing it every year wow um, okay and kind of went more towards like these uh dessert you know holiday dessert themes is usually where we're going with it right yeah because in in 2020 you guys actually brewed a peppermint bark milk stout and in 2021 it was a winter ale inspired by rum balls like out of, since 2017, what have been some of the more popular releases over the years? I think the um, the the Rumball one and the and the peppermint mint bark were big. Um, we did one, probably the coolest one in my mind. I don't know how well it was received in the sales world. We we did a uh, a candy cap mushroom. Oh, okay. Uh, it was kind of like a like a brown ale, sort of like a strong ale. Um, I don't know if you've ever messed around with candy cap mushrooms, right? Those I know what they are. Yeah. Are, yeah. They're wild. Like you, you know, it, it just tastes like you have some sort of caramel flavoring in there or something. So, uh, that was one of the coolest ones. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think in the last few years where it's kind of built momentum with these, these changing releases and new packaging every year and things like that. So actually this year is actually the first year that Santa's Private Reserve is a collaboration. So, like, how did that come about? And can you describe this year's version? Yeah. So, Honey Mamas is a brand uh, started here in Portland, and they have grown exponentially over the last few years. They make uh, chocolate truffle bars. Ooh, so they okay. are. They're not. They're not baked in any way. They're kind of like a raw bar. Uh, the main ingredients are honey, cocoa powder, usually some like coconut oil, um, and then other flavorings they use. So it's 
there's you know the only the only sugar the only sweetness is honey raw honey um the products they make are ridiculously good like too tasty and they are they're like they're like a health food product right that's what i was going to ask i mean if it's unbaked and it's raw cocoa and then honey i mean it sounds very health food oriented yeah yeah they 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 market themselves as a health food and if you eat it you're just like this is too good (laughs) right doesn't taste like a health food (laughs) yeah it doesn't taste like a health food um but yeah they, they have to be refrigerated um so anyway uh, their CEO, it, I mean, it's just small town stuff like their CEO. Um, I know him from outside stuff. My wife, my wife works with rogue. Uh, she went to the same high school as me. She graduated high school with him. Wow. Um, okay. but, it, but even just kind of separately, he made contact with us, um, with our, uh, our old VP of ops just through, through, uh, in, um, at like trade shows, I think. Um, and we just started spitballing with them. We know they have an amazing product. We know they have an amazing brand. Um, they're kind of they're they're skyrocketing with how well they're doing, um, and it it just made a lot of sense to combine those two because um, obviously chocolate bars and beer go pretty well together. So. Yes, I would agree with that. So what what is this year's flavor then? The, so the interesting thing is it is a uh, tahini tangerine. Um, really, that is that is their. Um, or it was, um, I'm not sure if that's still true, but it, it was their, their biggest selling, uh, product. And it, it sounds kind of, um, counterintuitive. I know not a lot of people are super familiar with like the palette of like tahini and what works with tahini. Um, and putting into beer, it definitely, it gave us pause. Like, how are we going to get, you know, tangerine and chocolate? Like how do these things go together? Um, tahini is a kind of a wild card, but in the end, it's really similar flavor-wise to those chocolate-covered oranges that you smack on the table and slices. It's a super similar flavor profile to that. Um, and tahini just somehow meshes it all together. Uh, we actually use buckwheat, um, um, soba. We, we've done that in other beers. We have a line with uh, Chef Iron Chef Morimoto, and we've always used yep. soba yep. in that. Yep. And as soon as we tasted this tahini and the ingredients they were working with, we we're like, oh, that's totally the flavor we get out of that buckwheat. Right. Um, so we use that as well to kind of mimic the tahini flavor. But yeah, it, on paper, it might sound weird and give you pause. But once you taste it, you're like, yeah, this. this so so is it a stout or what's the base? Yeah, it's a stout. It's a it's a tahini tangerine chocolate stout. Wow. But with buckwheat, I, I mean, actually, I've had a few, very few beers um, that have had buckwheat. I mean, one that comes off the top of my head is Firestone Walker's uh, PNC, their barrel-aged PNC, which was a buckwheat barrel-aged stout, which I love. But buckwheat, to me, is always kind of like that one ingredient that not a lot of people use, and it's kind of underutilized, but is a great player in a stout. Yeah. It's potent stuff. Oh, yeah. And it... It sucks to work with. That will make your runoff horrible. Really? Uh, yeah. Oh, it's a nightmare. Like we make, we would make this beer, and it was like a twelve plato or eleven plato beer to start out with. But the runoff was like you were making an imperial style. It was a nightmare. Wow. Um, so less is more with that stuff for sure. <laughs> so actually, uh, how much of Santa's Private Reserve will you make this year? You think uh, brew wise, barrelage. Oh, I think we make probably five or six hundred barrels of it. Wow. Okay. Oh, yeah. So not a small amount by any. Did you have a question, Maria? No? Uh, You've worked with buckwheat before. (laughs) No, I was going to say, for people listening to uh, this radio show, can you guys explain what runoff is? Because, I mean, it's kind of... Right. You can assume, but... just. Do you want to explain that, Danny? It's, do you want it's, to? it's brewer's terminology, you know? So, so basically, right. I mean, you, you mash in. You know all the steps, but like you mash in. You're obviously creating a cereal mash. I didn't say explain it to or, me. Or I said explain like it a, to the listeners. I, I used to brew for you. Is he mansplaining again? No, I don't want to mansplain. I don't want to mansplain at all. But like, <laughs> obviously, you're, you're creating a mash. Basically, like a porridge, in, in a sense. And then you are running that off, taking that liquid from those grains that you've now tried to extract as much sugar as possible out of the grains. 
That is the runoff. That is a runoff. But there tends to be when you put in certain grains can make that very, very problematic. I mean, buckwheat being one of them. I mean, you have a high percentage of wheat or oats or any of those products in your mash. It will tend to lead to a very gummy, sticky mash and have a very hard time, you know, draining off in a, in a sense. Did, did I get that right, Danny? Yeah, that, that's good. That works for me. <laughs> I'm not trying to mansplain to anybody, but, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> so, I mean... It, it, in actuality, like this is easily one of the most, one of your most anticipated releases each year. It's reviewed extensively in the beer media and has been seen all over social media. How does that process work? Like, how do you announce it? Like, do you send it out to all the craft beer writers and influencers? Like, how do you rev up the buzz every year for this release? Yeah, it's 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 helpful that there is kind of that anticipation for it. Um, yeah, we do. We do send out samples um, to to writers that are out there, people in the in the in the craft beer scene. Um, we have we have got a pretty good um, relationship with some of those standard um, the the ones that you always see come out with the best beers of this fall, the best beers, you know, right, like course. men's yeah. journal and things like that. Um, and so we have it. We're we've done a pretty good job of positioning ourselves and usually you'll see us on those lists for, for seasonal things Our whether it's our pumpkin beer um, during the fall or this beer coming out. Um, we've, and we've always really pushed for these um, we would call them like occasionals um, right. kind of trying to have beers that revolve around holidays and things like that. Um, so we, we've been doing that for a long time. So it's something we're pretty good at. It's it's funny you bring up Men's Journal, but Men's Journal, in all reality, is what got me into craft beer because I used to read Men's Journal and Men's Health, I mean, back beginning of 2000s, 2002, 2003, and every year they would release top 50 beers you should try, right? And yeah. it was always, and that was what got me in. And I know you guys were on there, Firestone Walker Pale Ale, and it was like, I lived in Miami at the time, and it was like, None of that existed down here. So I used to have to mail order all my beer, but all of my bases of knowledge of what beers to drink was coming from men's journals list, which is, it, which is pretty crazy. They're pretty spot on though. I mean, all the beers on there were amazing. So, <laughs> I mean, that is always a good source to go to for sure. So how and where can we and other people listening to this radio show, can we get this, this year's version of Santa's Reserve? So we have through our website, we have um, a tracker where you should be able to uh, go in and type in your uh, your zip code, and it will tell you kind of where um, where that is being sold. And we are, you know, a nationally distributed brand, so um, you know it's it's different across the country. I don't, all I know is what's up here in every store, right, and your course. mother has the craft beer selection <laughs> you've ever seen. So I don't really know what it's like in certain parts of Florida. It might be harder to find. Um, but yeah, our, our finder on our website is a pretty useful tool. I think, I think if you're in the Miami area, you should be able to find it probably at like total wine. I mean, I would believe, I mean, uh, there or ABC, even ABC liquor or, or total wine down here should probably be your best source for finding Santa's reserve in Miami. At That's least. where I find rogue. Right. Products. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All the time is that. Yeah. And they have a very good shelf presence there. Yeah. I have kind of like a final question and kind of a lead into another one. Like, given that Rogue Ales has won over 2,000 awards for taste, quality, and packaging, and given that so many people anxiously await the release of the new Santos Private Reserve each year, is there like an intense, like, is there pressure to kind of like outdo yourself as a brew team each year or risk people kind of being disappointed, you think? Yeah, I think there is there is that pressure. Um, we we definitely take a lot of pride in every part of it. We've always taken a lot of pride in um, not just the liquid, which every craft brewer does. We take a lot of pride in our packaging. I right. think that was what's been that set rogue out a long time ago. Was we never we never skimped on the quality of the packaging and the art we were putting right. on things. Um, yeah, there, there's pressure to make great liquid every year. And you give yourself a year to develop it, um, and it's going to take you a year to develop it. That's <laughs> right. been 
um my experience is like we got two months to do this and somehow we make a beer in two months where it's like we got 18 months to do this and somehow this process got dragged out for 18 (laughs) months to do it um but uh the other thing about it too is these are kind of fun beers also you know like these these kind of desserty beers they're uh they're fun they're usually kind of bigger on alcohol we try and give you something in like seven plus range right and they're maybe not always beers you want to drink like three pints of them. Right, of uh, course. So there is kind of a take it or leave it element to it. Like they're not for everybody. Um, if you don't like it, you don't like it. Um, but uh, they're a fun thing to have, you know, probably bring to Christmas with the family and everybody tries uh, tries a little bit of them. I, I mean, um, I mean, from what you've described from this year's version, I mean, that is definitely something that would go well with dessert for Christmas dinner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my kind of like last question, not that you have to give anything away here, but have you guys already, since you said 18 months, have you guys already laid the plan for next year's Santa Reserve? I mean, you've got orange tahini this year. Like, what's on the docket? Like, have you thought, what's the next kind of flavor wave you think that might hit? We we have thrown things around there. We definitely don't have any uh, concrete, anything concrete. Um, there's a list somewhere from a brainstorming session that I have written down uh, a few of the, the ideas. Um, but yeah, more than likely it's going to be probably another kind of desertish holiday inspired thing. Um, might not always be, you know, sometimes we mess around or whatever. It could be like a spruce tip IPA or something okay. like that. Um, but uh, yeah, no, we, we don't have it yet, but it is something we do. You know, we will start brewing test batches nice. now to nice. get it out for next year. Okay. And then, so just to back that up for everybody that's listening, if you want to find Santa's Reserve, go to Rogue Ale's website and go to their, like, beer tracker, and it should be able, you should be, I think you should be able to punch in a zip code and you should be able to find out where you should be able to find locally Santa's Reserve in your area. Danny, Danny. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you very much for all the information. And everybody out there, make sure to go check out rogue ales website and get your hands on some santa's reserve it should be a great addition to your christmas dinner but thank you again danny for all your time and it's been a pleasure having you on the show thanks danny yeah thanks you guys thanks for having me all right have a good one man you're listening to the beer hour with jonathan wakefield conversations on the business of brewing and popular culture Our next guest is a partner in the famous Collins Street Bakery in Corsicana, Texas. The bakery, which is over 125 years old, was the first ever mail-order fruitcake company in the U.S. Their signature deluxe fruitcake has garnered international acclaim as the gold standard for fruitcakes. Collins Street ships their fruitcakes to 196 countries and all 50 states. Our next guest is here to explain how fruitcake became such a ubiquitous part of the Christmas holidays and how Collins Street Bakery makes the best dang fruitcake. Stay tuned at the end for a special code. Welcome to the Beer Hour, Hayden Crawford. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's a pleasure Thank to have you, you on. Thank you You bet. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> so before we kind of get into the history of Collins Street, what exactly is fruitcake how is it made, and what kind of fruit do you guys use in your fruitcake? Okay. Uh, fruitcake is a, um, it's a recipe that was invented several hundred years ago by housewives who had uh, no uh, access to refrigeration, um, wanted to get the uh, fall harvest fruits and put them into a, a dessert that then could just sit in a root cellar and not, get, not grow old or get bad. Uh, to be pulled out for Thanksgiving and Christmas as a celebratory cake, and that's uh, that's where fruit cake um, came about. It's a, it's a dense cake. It has lots of nuts, typically lots of nuts and lots of fruit in it. Our particular cake is uh, unique in that we use pecans, and it's, that's one of the most expensive nuts yep. in the world. Yep. Um, and it's but it's native. Luckily, it's native to us here in Texas. Yes, it is. So it's almost a third pecans. And then our fruit are um, pineapple, cherries, raisins, and papaya. The pineapple uh, is brought up from Costa Rica. We had, until a couple of years ago, the world's largest organic operation. We had about um, 
3,000 acres in Costa Rica, and we were pulling 50 million pineapples annually off that farm. Uh, Dole came to us and wanted to buy as much as they could. We sold the majority of it and kept about 150 acres where we still grow our pineapple uh, today for our fruitcake. The cherries come from uh, Michigan and the Pacific Northwest. The raisins, of course, from California. The papaya is also from uh, Costa Rica, from our farm down there. Oh. We use the papaya as a as a balance. It's it's tangy, and so it balances the sweetness uh, and gives it a, a balanced flavor. Oh, very nice, very nice. So, like, one question though: it's pecans, not pecans. <laughs> so there you go. Like Corsica. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes, yeah, so it's it's uh, it's not pecans exactly. That, we do call them pecans. I think that's like a, a Georgia thing. So for pecans, and then Texas is pecans. Yes, and and boy, whenever we hear someone saying anything other than the right way, it sounds odd to us. It's funny. My uh, my grandmother's from Texas, and actually won Miss Texas way back when. And wow, uh, her husband had invented the machine to help shake the pecans out of the trees that's crazy yeah yeah it's it's yeah. pretty crazy though but uh you mind describing corsicana texas to our listeners what do you think it was like back when gus and thomas were delivering bread by horse-drawn carriages and what is it like today there yes so uh corsicana was a uh, was just a dot on the map and then um oil was discovered this is back in the late 1800s and at the same time two uh, rail lines were uh, uh, being built that crossed right here in what is now Corsicana. So those the coincidence of those two major things created this huge influx, this huge community. Uh, and we were rivaling the size of Dallas at the time. It was just, Whoa. Uh, yeah, an enormous amount of growth. Um, and that's what these two guys stepped into was all this hustle and bustle. And, and again, all these, major um, um, movie stars and and just celebrities were coming to Corsicana to entertain and just to be a part of the action. And that's that's where they were able to to grab that attention and grab that business and take off. What is it like today over there in Corsicana? So today, today it's a sleepy little town. So <laughs> when all of this oil, uh, we were the we were the largest oil well west of the Mississippi. Uh, we were producing more oil in Corsicana than the rest of the United States combined when this all happened. Ooh. So it was a huge business for us. Right. And uh, the oil companies went to the town fathers of Corsicana and said, we'd like to, um, we'd like to put our, our businesses here. We'd like to bring in our, our bankers and, and bring them here. And the town fathers chose not to. They didn't want to grow into this huge city. Right. They wanted to stay in a sleepy little town. And so they passed. And those companies went to Dallas and founded there. And Dallas grew to become what it is. And we remain the sleepy little town of about 20,000 people that we still remain today. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, probably probably for the best for, for a lot of people, I guess. Right. Instead of that hustle and bustle. Uh, you know, yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm sure that's right. But you, I do miss it from time to time. But um but yeah, there is something to be said about uh, birds chirping and, and crickets um, uh, in the background and train whistles. It is it is kind of nice. <laughs> I mean, so there is a seasonality to the fruitcake business. What percentage of your annual sales would you say occur during this holiday season? Yeah, that's um, we like to say that we may have it easy nine months out of a year, but we work like hell that other three. Uh, <laughs> we put in probably 80% plus of our total income comes in in the fourth quarter. Wow. So come Christmas, that's it uh, for the most part uh, because people don't buy fruit, fruit cake off season. It's just not something they think about. Right. There's onesies, twosies. Easter has a little bit of a business, but, but for the most part, we, ha- we ride that money all the way around till we come back into fourth quarter again, and here we go again. How many deluxes do you think you guys will bake this holiday season? Let's see. Uh, I'm going to say somewhere close to 800000 Oh, jeez. <laughs> okay. Wow. All right. Yeah. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's a lot of cakes. We, we consider ourselves the world's largest supplier 
supplier of fruitcake. I'm pretty sure we're right about that. We'll do about um, somewhere over one and a half million pounds of fruitcake uh, this year. And we're seeing the business uh, slowly grow. Folks like you that, that have this interest in fruitcake and are not trying to trash it or, or, oh, I know. or, yeah, or call it a bad name. And we're, we're seeing that interest slowly build. You know, we had a time where Johnny Carson was throwing out that joke about there's only one fruitcake and it's being passed around from person to person. Uh, those days seem to be gone. So when did the pecan cakes make, become such like a big seller? Yeah, that's that. Uh, a lot of people don't know this about us, but um, as I mentioned earlier, we were founded in 1896 and grew slowly over time to become this uh, international company. Back in the 40s, the original owners sold the company. They were they were done. They were ready to retire, and they sold the company to a group of investors, of which one was McNutt. And I just love that that a McNutt <laughs> right. is in the egg business. Yeah, so he and a, a group of partners bought the thing in the 40s realized almost immediately uh, it was a bread company then right fruitcake right. was one of the products but it was a they were, it was a regional bread company and they realized we're not going to compete with these big uh, regional bakeries we just can't we're mom and pop right so they made the uh, gamble of selling all the bread equipment and then gambling on going in with this fruitcake special recipe that this german baker had uh, invented and brought to the business and it, it was just serendipitous it just took off wow Wow. And it's just been running since then, which is crazy. I mean, yeah. it's still to throw up numbers of 800,000 cakes. I mean, that's just, I mean, that's crazy. Is it? And it's 126 years old, still right, going. Right. That's crazy to me. And would you say it's mostly pretty much all mechanized now? Uh, for the most part. But the, the, uh, one of the romantic things about it is we hand decorate every cake. And um, Ooh, okay. Uh, in, in, on a big day, um, depending on the vo- on the demand, uh, we, we want to bake two demands so we make sure that we the cakes are fresh. But on a big demand day, we can make up to 20,000 cakes in one day, hand-decorated, every one of them. Oh, my gosh. Go ahead, Maria. Well, Maria is actually a former pastry chef. So ah. Well, this whole process just interests me. Um, right. What is the quality control like? Because I imagine that there's some sort of QC, like the, the ratio, I'm sure, I mean, I'm sure it's a science already, the ratio, the papaya, the pineapples, the pecans, you said it was a third, but like when you cut into the cake, are you seeing all these different things? Oh, yes. And you th- you cut it uh, thin enough and it looks like a stained glass window. But um, we, we created a recipe, a mechanized recipe, probably in the 50s that... Um, so, for example, our uh, pecans, they come in 35-pound boxes. Ooh, okay. Our fruit comes in 20-pound boxes. We were able to come up with a recipe that said, okay, dump two full boxes of pecans, one full box of pineapple, one, two and a half boxes of cherry, whatever. And that became the, uh, the de facto recipe. So you, you knew what, what the ingredients were going to be. Uh, that bowl was in of dry ingredients was rolled up to the mixer where the liquid ingredients were automatically pumped in as it was uh, blended. We use an Artiflex mixer. If you know what that is, it's where hands, it's almost like hands reaching in and lifting the dough or the batter as opposed to a batter beating it. So it holds the fruit. Right. It's folding. It's folding it in versus like mixing. That's it. It folds it in. So your fruit stays for the most part, and it gives it that stained glass window effect that you that I was just mentioning when you cut it thin. Wow, wow! That's we need awesome. to buy a few cakes, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I we'll agree. go on the website after <laughs> Absolutely. this. Absolutely. I mean, you know, many many growing companies find that it makes good business sense to invest in the supply chain, and and I know you guys like in 1976 purchased, you know. Two other entities being, you know, one, the largest pecan or pecan shelling facilities. And then you guys also bought the farmland in Costa Rica, which, you know, you kind of expounded upon that you sold a good chunk of it to Dole. Do you guys still run that shelling facility for the pecans? Yes, we we do. Uh, We are still the majority stockholder in that uh, shelling company. That shelling company, when it uh, hits a big year, a big crop, can shell up to uh, 80 million pounds, which is... (sighs) 
it's a it's a percentage of the world's crop. I mean, it's a wow. huge. Yeah, it's a big, big facility. Um, so we still have that. We have a little company called Data Dallas. It does a lot of our computing for us. Um, we have uh, a company called Cinchona uh, that is our our coffee. Then we get it from Costa Rica as well, but it's its own little company. We have all these little companies right. that we've hobbled together over the years. And um, Harvest Grove is another uh, wow. company. We we invented Harvest Grove back in the eighties as a way of test marketing new products so we didn't damage our brand in case we tested a product that ended up not being popular. Right, I hear you. So, yeah, so uh at the back then in the in the um in the 80s, we only had one product and we had it in three sizes. You could get the deluxe fruit cake in a large, medium or or regular size and that was it. That was all you got from us through the mail. Wow. Uh and we eventually uh, rolled out to where we have about 200 different SKUs now that you can order from oh us my through goodness. the mail. Yeah. That's yeah. amazing. Isn't That's... that something? But at the time, it was just the one product. Yeah, it, you may be in a small, sleepy town, but it's definitely not a small, sleepy business by any means. That's for That's sure. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, all, but like fast forward to the 2000s, I mean, Collins Street Bakery, you know, made another pivot. I mean, this time you guys went into retail cafes how many are there, and what do people experience when they walk into one of these retail cafes? There, there are four of them, uh, and the reason for the pivot was that we saw this slow downstep in interest in fruitcake thanks to the Johnny Carson jokes and, and, and the health craze and, and all that stuff that was going on at that time. And so the only way you would see us is was typically was in the mail. Right. We would mail out to you, and you would see our our ads, um, our letters in the mail. Well, postage got too expensive, um, paper got too expensive, shipping got too expensive, and so chasing that mail order uh, person got to almost be prohibitive. Sending out, trying to uh, send out mail and get customers to actually buy enough cakes. To pay for the cost. To the cover ads, that cost, yeah. Well, it got more and more and more difficult. It used to be very easy. It used right. to be very easy. So we came on the idea of what if we put these hotel, I'm sorry, these these uh, uh, bakery facilities on the highway uh, so they're highly visible. People, it gives people a place to stop, rest, perhaps purchase, expo- be exposed to our fruitcakes. And it's almost like an advertisement brings our self our, our awareness up with the um, the customer and that's why we built these these bakeries wow. well they're enormous facilities they're um, six seven eight thousand square foot facilities great big southern plantation style uh, two stories open interior wow that's Be- amazing beautiful beautiful um, uh, buildings and we have the three which, that we call highway stores and then our original location, which is where you are, you and I are talking right now, which is the bakery that was built in the 60s. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. So you actually, you know, last year, Spotsil Brewery approached you guys about brewing a fruitcake pastry porter for Shiner's Brewer's Pride Series. What was Collins Street's role in that collaboration, and how did you like the finished product? That's a real question. Love, love the finished product, and, and, um, and uh, Shiner Bach is my, one of my favorite beers, Oh yes, absolutely. Okay. Just I just love Shiner. And so I was so excited about this collaboration. We had no idea. We didn't approach them. They approached us and we were thrilled to do it. We had very little involvement in it. Uh, they said, Hey, w- if you would send us one of your fruit cakes, we're going to kind of uh, dissect it and get the flavor profile that we're looking for, for this beer. Um, and I think they nailed it. It, it, uh, you, you can get something that's too spicy, too uh, yep. nutmeggy, and they didn't do any of that. It, it picked up a little bit of the flavor of the nuts and a little bit of flavor of the cherry, and and that was it. I, it was a subtle beer. It was light. Um, uh, I loved it. I still have a, uh, half a case at home. <laughs> okay. Actually, Maria, that might, we might have somebody to talk to about doing a Christmas cake uh, Christmas cake beer. This year, I think from what I have actually, I've actually seen that PepsiCo approached you about engaging social media influencers by product seeding Mountain Dew and Collins Street Bakery's deluxe 
fruitcake. So is is it actually fruitcake Mountain Dew that I'm it seeing? Is. It is. And as crazy as that sounds, and I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but I like it too. <laughs> uh, it's the same thing. It's this. It's this really nice um, uh, um, amalgam of cherries and pineapple that you can detect in the Mountain Dew base flavor. It it's it really is very nice. But yes, they came to us and they said, again, would you send us a fruit cake so we can di- dissect it and see if we can get the flavor profile right for our Mountain Dew? And we did that. And then they contacted us and said, we would like to include your cake uh, in our swag bag that we're sending out to these 250 uh, influencers. And so they bought the cakes from us. Woo. Okay. Yeah. So here we got, we got the business of of selling the cake. Those cakes have now gone to these influencers. And now those guys are talking about our fruit cake. And because um, they're influencers for Pepsi, they're already prepped to look kindly on our product. Of course. Absolutely, and, and yeah, and so they're talking it up, and That's it's amazing. just yeah, That's it's amazing. just amazing. So I mean, when you get a call like that, I mean, it has to make you proud that your brand is still held in such a high esteem after all these years. Oh, uh, it, it's it's a thrill because if you're in the fruitcake business, you know that can be a brow beating business. Oh, of course, um, yeah, yeah. You know what do you do? Well, I, I'm I, I'm in the fruitcake business. So really, <laughs> Right. Yeah. So, so sorry, but but no, but but we have seen as you and I just discussed earlier. It's it has moved into a new, different, and more, way more positive realm, like a new generation, new a new uh, a, a new direction in itself. Yeah. So we have we have uh, some young Turks that we have that manage our social media platform, right, and they're in their twenties and thirties. And uh, they were talking to me last year, and they said, "Hey, we want to do a promo on on fruitcake." And I said, you know, guys, um, I I just don't think your young audience uh, they're going to go for fruitcake. I we've got uh, cheesecakes, we've got pecan pies, we've got uh, triple Ooh. chocolate cakes, we've got all these different Ooh, products that I think we ought to promote other than fruitcake. And they looked at me and they're like, why would you not promote fruitcake? So it was, it all of a sudden became obvious to me those guys have already missed that whole. Yep. Yep. Uh, negative vibe on the yeah. fruitcake they yeah. already passed it. they weren't even in it i mean rocco i know you're old i mean uh i <laughs> wow. mean i mean gr- uh. growing up in philly like with uh you know the old chimney stack cleaners and stuff i yeah. mean uh <laughs> Chimney's, yeah uh, okay uh fruitcake for, for you fruitcake had a bad rap um. Yeah. You know. Uh, but I'm. I'm. I'm Italian. So uh, it was always oh, panettone, panettone right, right. which is really taken oh. off. But that's very different yeah. than fruitcake. But it's but so. I, dry. But I have I, had fruitcake. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just you know it was a part of the holidays. We always had one in our house. Someone always sent us one. Yeah. I, I growing never, up, someone always sent a fruitcake every holiday season. You know, I was never really yeah. against probably one of your probably one of yours. <laughs> you I, know? I, I was never really against fruitcake, but I I dated an Italian girl, uh-huh. and her old man was from you know off the boat from Italy, yeah, he did and that. he always had panettone, and it was like yeah. the worst thing ever. I couldn't yeah, eat that thing and save my life. Well, um, you know? the other thing is, I worked in a supermarket for many years, so I stacked quite a bit of uh, fruitcake, <laughs> you know, on a special uh, yeah. on end caps and things during the holidays, so. Yeah. So I got one kind of last question for you, Hayden. It's, you know, what is your favorite way and kind of your recommendation on how to eat fruitcake? I mean, we doing all the mode, we doing with black coffee or maybe, maybe with a shot of, you know, Texas whiskey. How are we doing this? Yeah. 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 Uh, Well, I like that Texas whiskey idea. Uh, (laughs) Although I haven't tried that in a long time, but the, my default, Go to um, uh, uh, way to eat fruitcake is to slice it thinly, about an ounce to an ounce and a half to each slice. Put that on a plate with a pat of salted butter Ooh. and either microwave that or a toaster oh oven. And that alone, that salted butter with that sweetness of that fruitcake and the nuts, it's just, and the, the, the texture of it, it's just amazing. 
So that goes great with coffee, but now I'm going to try it with whiskey. All right. All right. I'm, I'm going to have to try that because that sounds really good to do that toasted with the salted butter. It, 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 it'll change your life. All right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to try that. I, I have a question for, for John. What, what would you pair with, uh, with that, with a piece of fruitcake? Uh, for me, butter? it'd have to be like a barrel-aged imperial stout. Some aged in a bourbon, whiskey, maybe a rye barrel. Would, I think those kind of notes would go great with that, with that fruitcake sure but i mean he also hooked me when he told me they make oh, a smokes porter i right, think would yeah. go really nicely with it as well but he hooked me when he told me that they make uh, pecan pies too so <laughs> we're going on the website right now hayden i love pecan pies so yeah that's just uh, you know, and we we make a fantastic one and it we use if you know anything about pecans uh-huh. there's two basically two different kinds there's Mother Nature's nut, which is called a native, and it's the hard shell, and they're right. tiny. Right. Uh, you can't get those in most places because shellers don't want to mess with them because there's too much trash shell that comes with and it. And not enough nut. Not enough nut meat. Right. So they go uh, improved varieties. The improved varieties are it's a much bigger, prettier nut, but it has less flavor. So we use, for the interior of our cakes and for our pies, we have the native pecan. Ooh. Okay, and it just it has a whole different uh, sensation to you, a whole different flavor. Maria, next time you bake a pecan pie, you got to find them yeah. though. I will try yeah, to find them. them. I'll go to Texas. Gotta... Can you send me to Texas? Absolutely, to get some? we got to come to Texas. Come out there, busy. Well, I want to say thank you very much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, it's been great talking to you. And thank you for all the great information you have shared with us. Well, listen, there's a pleasure on our side as well. And, and may I do this? I was I was talking to Rocco. Uh, a couple of days ago, and he said, "If you have a, a promo code, absolutely." Uh, well, we I, I got one. I I've All never right. done this before. But G- I went what, to our, give the website to Hayden. What's yeah. the website? What's the website first? Yes, um, it's www.collinstreet.com. That's c o l l i n s c r e e t dot com. You can also get it at fruitcake.com. We Ooh. do own that website. Ooh, all right. Um, and the promo code, and by the way, this will get 20% off of our product all the way through the end of this year. So that's a big, that's nice. a big, they can wow. try our fruitcake and see what they think. All right. Uh, but the code is 21BEER, the number 21 Ooh. and BEER. And you, you can all cap it or lowercase, all it right. doesn't matter. I appreciate right. that. Okay. That's awesome. That's great. And then I'm going to have Rocco hook up with you because I think maybe for next uh, holiday season we need to do we a, should do something. a fruitcake, yeah. Uh, yeah. a Collins Street fruitcake beer. Yeah. Well, it, and if you would have, well, I can just call you right after this thing and, right. and get your address because we were going to send you uh, gratis on us oh. as Aww. a thank you. Oh, that's so Appreciate nice. That. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, so, I'll email I'll, it to I'll, you, Hayden. Thank you so much. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Please do that, and we'll get that to you. All right, Merry, ha- Merry Christmas. holidays, Merry yep. Christmas. It's been a pleasure yep. speaking yep. to you. All right, have a good thank one. You. That's it for this week. I'd like to thank our guests, Danny Connors and Hayden Crawford, our co-host Maria Cabre, our producer Rocco Riggio, and our editor. Brian O'Connell. Thank you for listening. You can catch us each Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on Business Radio 132 or anytime on the SiriusXM app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate the show and leave a review. Remember, people, the thirst is real.